Hey there, Richard Tubb here with another episode of Tub Talk, the podcast for IT consultants. Now, this season, we're focusing on speaking to IT solution providers and managed service providers, or MSPs, people just like you. And we're asking them to help us to understand what makes them tick, specifically the tools they use that bring them success. So today, I'm joined by Scott Riley of UK-based Cloud Nexus. Now, Scott was our guest back on Tub Talk episode 86, and he talked about how to build a successful cloud solution provider business. Well, that episode was one of our most popular episodes ever. So back by popular demand, Scott Riley, welcome back to Tub Talk. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I had no idea that was the, one of the most popular episodes. And that's so kind. It was lovely to, uh, to come and visit you guys the first time. So nice to be back this time as well. So thank you for, for having me back. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about the topics we've got for today. So I'm, I'm looking forward to digging into this. This is going to oh, be cool. Our pleasure to have you back. And I should say it was not only one of the audience's most popular episodes, I've got to say, I know you and I are friends known each other a little while and stuff, but it was one of my favorite interviews to do of all time. So uh, I'm so glad you're back. Appreciate it, mate. Now let's have a look. So I've alluded to the fact we know each other quite well now. I think we've been together in this industry. I was trying to work it out. 15 years, I'm going to say, 15 years plus maybe. Yeah, no, I I think I've been doing this 21 years I added up the other day and I was yeah. like goodness me uh, but I think yeah I think it's it's over 15 years that you and I have we were almost like ships in the night for a little while and then like really recently just really got to know each other and just dig in on so many great things that like we do the uh, the Thursday um, my brain there the, the behind the geeks Behind the Geeks, yes. Yeah, my brain for the title then. Um, but yeah, we do that every Thursday and we're always, you know, in touch. And, and I keep seeing you everywhere now, uh, which is really nice. I've got the CompTIA events together. It's it's yeah. lovely. And it's one of these funny things. I talk to my wife about this all the time. The the IT industry, and especially the service provider industry, is so small. Is. You, you always bump into the same characters all the time. Um, and she laughed. We were talking about this in the car on uh, Saturday. Of, you know, this is the stuff we talk about the weekends, right? Uh, but she said to me, my goodness, it really is small in your industry. You need to be nice when you leave places, don't you? And I was oh. like, oof, it is super important. You- <laughs> I, I was, uh, we're already going off at a tangent here, but I, I made no apologies for it. Scott Riley's tangents are better than most people's <laughs> focused points. I will say that as you'll get to know. I, uh, I, I tell the story. I was doing some sales training with um, some people, some young people from uh, a PSA platform that will remain nameless. Mm. And um, uh, they were in a very competitive situation. And I actually said to them, look, when you're speaking to somebody over a telephone, no matter what they say about the competition or whatever, don't rise to the bait, mm. don't retaliate or whatever. Because for two reasons, it's a, a super small industry, as you've just talked about, uh, and nobody trusts people who badmouth the competition for a start. But because it's such a small industry, you may end up looking like a bit of a wally when you uh, end up working for the company that you previously badmouthed as well. <laughs> so uh, wise words from your part, Scott. Now, I was... I was going to say for the benefit of people, we just jumped in talking like two friends here, but for the benefit of the people who may not know you, uh, may not have listened to the previous episode, help us understand a bit more about your company, Cloud Nexus. Which part of the world do you operate in? How many people are in your team? That sort of thing. 
Sure. Yeah. So, so um, Cloud Nexus. I, I originally said it was a boutique consultancy that specialises in three six five and Azure. Um, but as soon as we kind of got into working on projects with clients, it very much morphed really quickly into being a, a traditional managed service provider. Um, we are based over in the UK in Leeds. So, kind of, I, I always like to think if you if you take the whole map of England and you just put a, a dot right in the middle, that's us. That's Leeds right in the middle there. Some people might say it's Manchester is more important, but no, no. Leeds. No, I would I would say Birmingham's the most important city, but there you go. So I mean, you, you can't be right about everything, Richard. Um, <laughs> but you no, know, so we we set up the company. I mean, I set up the company about two and a half years ago now. Um, we've grown from then to be five people in house, and and we're going to talk about this later. But yeah. what we've chosen to do specifically is have the in house people be kind of our best and brightest and, and amazing at what they do. And then for everything else, we've got a great partnership or a provider or someone else who provides everything else that we do. And we're, we're going to dig into that later on. So I don't want to talk about that just now. Um, but really what's, you know, what we're focusing on is that Microsoft stack and then working on projects, both for direct customers and in fact, for some other MSPs as well. So it's been a really exciting, you know, two and a half years now. And uh, yeah, just, just having real good fun with it. You are one of the fastest growing MSPs in the UK, but it's probably fair to say that your uh, approach towards the managed service model, whilst traditional in some respects, is a radical change in others. We'll we'll get onto that talking about how you handle help desk, how you focus on purely on the Microsoft stack. Before we do, though, I'm intrigued. You know, you work geographically in Leeds. Do you have uh, clients further afield? Are they all across the UK or? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. So we only have um, two clients that we've worked with in in the whole of Yorkshire, uh, which is a pretty large, you know, region. Yeah. Um, actually, most of our clients are based either, you know, kind of in the UK in in London or up in Scotland. Um, but the the kind of further afield that we work, so we've got a lot of clients that we work with in Europe, um, specifically in Spain and Italy, we support clients there. Um, but some of the further afield projects we've actually worked over in Australia, uh, and as far across in the US as Phoenix, which is wow. pretty far across. Um, but we've done some work for uh, clients in, in Boston, in New York, in Washington, DC. Um, so we, you know, this whole thing that we're doing with Microsoft, where we are literally working kind of around the globe with it because we can just do that based here in our in our you know our office in Leeds. We don't have to be on site. And of course, everyone's adapted over the last couple of years because of what's been happening. But we we've always had that model where we don't really go out on site and do things. Our guys are best spent, you know, doing their project work right here because that's how they can be most efficient and genuinely spend more time with clients and, and get through more projects faster. They can do that right here. Yeah. What type of clients do you typically work with? Are you, are you based in the SMB space? Um, so we do some work with SMBs. Um, so, and, and, and I, you know, I know there's, there's a whole range that that comes under, but we've, we've worked with some of the kind of micro businesses, less than 10 people quite a fair bit in that sort of 50 to 250 traditional SME space. Um, But then some of the larger projects that we get to work on. So we've done some projects for people like the National Health Service here in the UK. Um, So a couple of those, because it's broken down geographically for those who don't know, uh, but working on two kind of large geographies that maybe worked around 42,000 people and doing quite a large exchange project for those. Um, So it's it's been quite a range. Um, Now, the interesting thing is a lot of the 
times the projects we get, as I say, we don't always do direct projects. We work for other MSPs. Um, so they will have those great, fantastic client relationships and they just need a bit of niche expertise. And so they'll, they'll draft us in and sometimes we'll just white label and we're just in the background. We're just the engine, you know, doing the project and, and they're doing all the customer facing stuff. But it does mean we get to work on some really cool projects uh, for places like airports and, and things like that. But they're things that I can't specifically talk about because we're doing that for a, a client, but some really, really cool projects that we've got to get involved in. Yeah. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this, this concept that you've grabbed hold of, which is buddying up, partnering with other companies, delivering services through that. We'll talk about that a little bit further, but I know for anybody who's not come across your work earlier, yes, you did hear right. Scott and the team at Cloud Nexus do focus on the specific Microsoft stack. So unlike many MSPs, I guess, and perhaps people listening today who have got a, a wide variety of different solutions that they end up supporting for their clients, you focused on Microsoft. Talk to me about the, the decision-making process. What are the pros and cons of just working with the Microsoft stack? Yeah, so it's it's really interesting because... Yeah, I've I've come from from larger MSPs. So my background is, has always been MSPs for that that twenty something years. We didn't always call it that. Um, you know, we would have called it lots of lots of different things. Uh, but I've worked for some of the UK's largest IT providers, outsource providers, MSPs, as we'd call them now. Um, and what I often found is, as the organisation got bigger and bigger, and the portfolio of products got bigger and bigger, and those teams got bigger and bigger, it got so hard. To, to be really good at something, to offer you know that fantastic service of the customer, to be able to deliver on it really well, to execute quickly, because there were just lots of decisions by committee by that stage. Um, and it got really difficult and challenging. And I was, you know, I was looking at the Microsoft stack and saying, right now, today, in our current MSB, we compete against Office 365 and Azure because we have our private cloud platforms. And we have our private email systems and we have our private virtual desktop platforms. And so we're trying to compete against that. And the reason we competed against it was really simple. On our own hardware and our own data centers, we would make 80% margin. Really simple. If we resold the Microsoft platforms, we would only make 10 to 15 points of margin right. on the licenses. And it was so hard to get those businesses, those big MSPs, 200, 300 million pound turnover to understand, oh, it's a thin end of a wedge. And you're not just selling the licenses. You can still have the managed services and the intelligence and the customer care and all that kind of great value add stuff on top that is still really you know, selling people, not selling product. And you can still make a fantastic amount of margin out of that and build a business on it. But it just, it didn't seem to resonate with those, those teams. And so as I kind of exited the last MSP and uh, the tiny shareholding and set off into the sun for about five minutes and bought myself, you know, a pasty or a pie or <laughs> something <laughs> simple and came back down to earth. I was like, what would I do now? I would grab hold of the Microsoft stack. So 365 and Azure. I would take those same great, clever people and I'd start to build out a set of services and, and you know, care products and packages that we can work with businesses and help them not just really kind of adopt 365, because that's a whole thing in itself, you know, using it properly and, um, you know, being really productive with the 365 set, but actually driving out the security aspects, driving out the value in those licenses and making sure businesses really benefited from that. And the more and more I looked at it, the more I said, you, you have to niche and specialize on this because 
It changes all the time. The, the, you know, they, they change the product names all the time, which is crazy. Um, the, the value that gets added in, the features that get added into each license, SKU changes, the portal changes, and it just needs dedicated focus just to get that right. And it was enough to go, I think we can do that and do it really well because for everything else, there's a partner out there who can do it better. Yeah. And I know I know MSPs that are listening today already do this in some regard, right? So they'll they'll have their IT stack that they do, but I bet they're not providing their own WAN services. Okay, so here in the UK, you might go to Gamma or Virgin or somebody else, and, and you're essentially going to resell someone else's IP connectivity. You've got to bundle it up into your own package. You may or may not put your own router or firewall on the end of it. You may just take a complete outsource service. The same for SIP trunks. It's kind of that commodity stuff that you know you've got a great partner for. They've got the SLAs. They've got the contracts. They've got that stuff. And I'm like, as I look at what businesses need, the Microsoft bit is, is really difficult and challenging. So if you can be fantastic at that, a lot of the other stuff is, is a bit commoditized now. So when I think around yeah. WAN services, telephony services, although again, we'd try and try and build that into Teams if we could. Cabling, installing Wi-Fi, PC sourcing, a lot of that stuff is, is kind of getting to commodity. And then, and, and this is the stuff that we're going to chat about really is then you look at, well, what about service desk? You know, is it possible to outsource service desk and SOC? Because that's some of that real level one, level two stuff that if I'm building, a, you know, a niche set of team expertise on 365, those are kind of your bigger ticket guys, right? Those are the more right. expensive, more experienced, consultative guys who can have a, a real conversation with the customer and actually turn that into something that we're going to make a solution from. You, you don't want them distracted with, well, I forgot my password and the printer's not printing. So if you can find a great partner, and the more I kind of mapped it out, and this was, you know, Michael Gerber, the E-Myth revisited, plot out all the seats that you see in the business and then start to put people in those roles. And I was like, the more I look at this, the more there are great partners that I can pop into those spaces. And it leaves us free to just go, you know, we're a team of five, and this is what we do really well, but we've established now these fantastic relationships with people that we can have that conversation with a client that says, hey, yes, you know, you need service desk, you need PCs, you need Wi-Fi, you need cabling, cool. I, I know someone and we're going to introduce you. Um, and some of that, I'll be honest, is we just introduce those two people together. And I, I'm not bothered about marking it up or selling it through or any of those things. This is the right person for you, Mr. Customer, because again, it frees us up to focus on what we're really good at. For other things, we do pass it through and mark it up. Um, so things like the uh, you know, uptime, specifically for our IT service desk, they answer the phone as Cloud Nexus. As far as the client is concerned, they're speaking to the, the Cloud Nexus help desk team, um, and they get to know and like those guys. Um, and, and for us, it's just like having another five people in the team that are in the service desk. That's yeah. exactly how it feels. Well, let's dive a little bit further into that. I'm going to make an observation uh, first though, like my own managed service provider business, you and I have talked about this on air, on air, on behind the geeks, in, you know, uh, as friends and everything. I absolutely share the same philosophy and values as you do in that, like you stick to what you're good at and you outsource or you buddy up with people uh, for all of the other things in there. And I think you, you've become a really great example. I say to people about niching, or as our American friends would call it, niching, uh, yes. focusing, you know, people always think it's about focusing on 
a vertical, like you only work with accountants or service teams or whatever it might be. But there's tons of different different niches. We've mentioned geographic. You know, you can you can choose to work with uh, companies within a certain geographic region. Uh, but the other one is focusing on a certain technology stack. And becoming really good at doing that. Now, we've spoken to Linux MSPs, we've spoken to SharePoint experts, but you've focused on the Microsoft stack as a whole, which can service you know 99% of what people uh, need in any given small business, and you're excelling at it. So I think you are the poster boy for what niching a business does, because rather than uh, eliminate yourself from being considered for all of the generalist work out there, you become the number one person that people go to for the Microsoft stack. That, that is the plan. That, that's what we're trying to build genuinely, because I just want people to see us as the Microsoft guys. And, yeah. you know, from a, from a partner perspective, when I, when I talk, you know, with, with other people about them outsourcing just those, those things to us, you know, those big MSPs, those hundred, 200 million you know, dollar MSPs that go, we do everything. We do WAN, we do data center, we do IP connectivity, we do Wi-Fi. they do everything but they just don't have that niche expertise in maybe this aspect of 365. It might be, I don't know, autopilot or endpoint manager, something like that. Yes. They will just go, do you know who we need for this project? It's those Microsoft guys, Card Nexus. We just need them to drop in and do this part of that project. Exactly. And so we're kind of being seen by those partners as, as, as that. And then what we do is obviously we reciprocate because of course, you know, clients come to us say, Hey, you know, we need one services or we need this, or we need this. Cool. You know, we have a network right now of around 25, 26 partners that we have this buddy system with. And I guess, you know, that's not a traditional MSP model the, you know, the traditional MSP, especially when you think about the, the very agile, you know, one, two man band that's, that's starting up and then, and then growing from there is, you know, we'll do everything. If, if, they, <laughs> if, it's, if it's got a plug on it, um, you know, it, it falls under IT, we'll source printers and Wi-Fi and, and laptops and desktops and fix all those problems when the customer keeps buying a cheaper laptop that they found that's got Windows 10 Home on it. And we're like, oh, oh we know, don't do that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it really helps us to focus because, genuinely, we can walk into those conversations and go, we, we know what the right answer is. We don't have to kind of solution sell. We have kind of fixed packages for how we deploy 365 and endpoints and all those kind of great things. But we're not going in and saying, you know, what 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 else what else do you need? What else can we sort in IT? And you know, when they ask us to do it, we're probably quite rubbish at it. Can you have a look at the Wi-Fi? We could. We wouldn't be very good at it. And it wouldn't be a great use of your time or our time. But I tell you what, we know someone who's an absolute expert at it. We're going to get them to drop in and have a look yeah. at this for you. Yeah. And, and that just, that seems to work. And, you know, you talked about being one of the fastest growing, that the typical performance that I've seen when I talk to the agile MSP, so somebody like us who started from zero and is two, two and a half years old, is that it takes them about 10 years, 10 to 12 years, and about 12 to 14 people to hit that million pound turnover. We just did, in our, in our second year, we just closed the books, we did 540,000 in our second year. So I would say we're kind of accelerating. Now, we've done the forecast for next year, year three, essentially, which is about 710,000. Now, that's not big potatoes. I know there's some MSPs are going to be listening to this going, well, we do millions and millions. That's, that's awesome. But we are you know, starting from zero with a completely unknown brand and trying to niche in this one thing that we want to be really good at and prove that, that you can make a fantastic business out of it. And, it. and it really does seem to be working. I think if we can hit, and, and we're not going to be crazy and say, hey, 
we're definitely going to hit the million by year three because we're not. We've done the forecast and it looks like 710 is we're putting money on it. That's where it's going to be. But we won't need to grow the team to hit that. So if you imagine our team today did 540,000, and again, lovely for the people who are listening, you'll realize I am fantastically candid and open you are very very open every every this. aspect of our business right um so we we hit 540k with the team that we have today we will hit 710 with the same team so my costs in terms of staff and, and premises and all that things are not going to change there are of course some costs of sale against those different line items but what it means is actually our profitability over the next year is going to be enormous compared to where it is today and yeah. that then gives us the opportunity to then say right for year 4 what else are we doing do we need to grow the team you know to to do more of these niche focused products or actually are we still absolutely nailing it and we can go into year 4 and just bring in more of those those project activities and and stick with the same partnerships. It gives us a chance to really see how that's working. Yeah, I would say working in a niche, I'm interested if you agree with me or not, working in a niche is A, more fun, and B, you might disagree with this sometimes, but less stressful most of the time because you're instead of trying to juggle a million different things going on, you know what you're good at and you stick to it. Have you found that to be the case or...? Yeah, definitely. Yes. There's, I mean, there's still some parts that are, I mean, cause Azure, for example, is, is yeah. ginormous. You know, there, there are many, many different ways to do things in there. Um, but in 365, for example, any project that we bump into, you know, we've, we've walked into places who've had a serious security breach and they've lost money and they've said, look, we just need to make sure this thing's locked down. And we've like that, we've got you because we've done that over and over again for the last two years. Uh, not the mopping up the breaches, of course, but actually just you know getting things set up properly, locking it down, making sure that it all works across mobile devices and company-owned and, and personal devices, getting all that data set up, maximizing all those features that they've got in 365. Um, we've done that so many times that it doesn't scare us to walk into a very large organization and go, okay, I'm sorry to hear about the breach, but let's get this sorted for you. There is a lot of comfort in that. I would genuinely say that. And it's it's helped in our kind of sales process as well, because I talked about that walking in and saying, okay, you know, let's, let's talk about you and, and what you'd like to achieve. But when we kind of go in with the answer as this is where you should be, right? Let's see where you are. And then let's talk about what it's going to take to get you to where you should be. And, and that whole confidence is, you know, we know where you should be because we've mm. done this so many times for so many clients over the last two and a half years. This is what good looks like. Let us help you get there. And we and we can explain that really well. And then, you know, as we kind of come off those calls, we have the proposal material, we have the scope of works, we know exactly how many days it's going to take. We don't have to go away and think and then come back with a proposal in two weeks. And that trust is, is earned straight away because they go, these guys know what they're on about. I was on the phone with... Not a salesperson, and this isn't salesperson bashing, but I was on the phone with someone who's a consultant who understands how to, to fix this for our business. So I get some confidence there. They've got a pre-packed you know, sales proposal that's ready to go. They know exactly how many days, they know exactly how much it's going to cost. And they're able to tell me by the end of the call how long it's going to take and when they can fit it in. And that whole thing just builds trust. You know what you're doing. You've clearly done this a number of times before. So yeah, it, yeah, it, it, it helps so much in that sales and delivery process. And I've got to say, the guys are just filled with confidence when we bump into another, you know, Azure virtual desktop project or another endpoint manager project. They're like, yeah, we've got this. And then you can see the confidence in their faces, which is amazing. Whereas 
you know, I remember being some of the other MSPs. We'd get something and just like, oh, who, who, who's going to have to deal with this? <laughs> we one? need to learn about this double quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you can <laughs> some frantic Googling uh, to, to figure out what the answer is and lots of trial and error. And I like to think now, you know, we we still learn, we still, you know, practice and improve and pilot on our own time. So that we, because again, things keep changing, but we do that on our own time. So that when we would do the projects for the client, they, they just roll out as, as quickly as we promised. Yeah. I want to give a shout out now. Something I did really early in my career without knowing it uh, subconsciously, I documented my journey. I uh, built up a knowledge base over time in blog posts and uh, things like that. And again, I'd love Scott to say this was a grand plan. And I knew that 20 years after running my MSP, I would be Richard Tubb, the IT business growth expert. It wasn't a plan at all. It was all pure fluke. You, however, have been very smart about the way you are sharing your knowledge and putting it out there. It's clear to anybody listening, you are one of the most open and honest guys in our industry. You always give freely of your time and experience to others. However, you've got a ton of technical knowledge as well, haven't you? And you've put that, you've sort of productized that, you've shared that with other MSPs. The floor is yours, Scott. Give a plug for this because I think it's one of the the most underrated tools available. It's fairly new. Let people know what I'm talking about. Oh, oh, thank you. That's kind. And I I always like when someone asks me to talk about this because it is something I'm really passionate about. Um, We just had this thought that, you know, we do lots of project work for other MSPs um, and then we get a lot of follow-up questions. Oh, how do you do that again? Oh, could you just tell me this? Could you just remind me about this? And what it was screaming to us is, there's so many tech articles from Microsoft that take you hours to read. There are, you know, training courses available that will take you days and days and days to help you pass an exam. But a lot of times in in MSP space, and also if you're like an IT professional in a a large enterprise, right? You just need that quick refresh. You just need that quick answer. I don't want hours and hours of of a course. I just want to know, how do I do that thing again? I just need the quick refresher. And it just kind of occurred to us, that seems like it could be really powerful, almost like a big video wiki. Remind me, how do I set up conditional access policies for devices? Because I can't remember. Um, and that's fair because, again, everything changes like every five minutes in Microsoft world. Um, and it just kind of came to us, could we make something that would look like that? And so that's where this whole idea of uh, what we call the M365 Masterclass came from. And so it's not a training course. M365 Masterclass, not a training course. It's essentially like this massive repository of how-to, and it goes through every aspect of what we like to call setting up Microsoft 365 properly. Um, so you'll go through like securing Azure AD and, and setting up Exchange Online, SharePoint, Teams. Uh, we now are getting, because we've got lots of people signing up to this, um, they are now sort of putting back into the comments, say, hey, could you add you know, some content around this? So one of the best bits of feedback we got was, hey, you've got some stuff on Teams. Could you do some things on setting up Teams voice because it's a minefield? Right. And so like within the week, we'd set up 11 videos on how to set up Microsoft Teams Enterprise voice, everything from you know, requesting numbers from Microsoft to number porting to setting up call queues, all the, the sticky and awkward bits. But the thing is, all of these videos are around five to 10 minutes long. So bite-sized, yeah. Yeah, we're not wasting anyone's time. The the whole idea is get in, get what you want, get out and get on with your day. And so that's why we kind of built this repository. And it's really nice to see, you know, we, we, we kind of are on the right field because we're in this industry. We do this all the time. We know people don't have a lot of time. So we just set this up, 
I say this isn't supposed to be a big sales plug, but it's 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 proving really popular with MSPs. Just this nice repository, jump in, get what I want, get on with my day. Um, and it's been really surprising. Some people are just literally doing that. Other people are going through and watching every single video in the stack. And I'm like, you know, it's not a training course. I'm like, no, but <laughs> I love how you put the things across. And, right. you know, I saw this thing and before they'd signed up, they'd spent sort of five hours Googling around for something. And then they found our video and you nailed it in five minutes. And we're like, that's what it's about. That That's exactly what it's about. So we're, yeah. we're hopeful that that is going to be really valuable. And we've kind of made this commitment now to keep updating it. So we're doing at least 10 videos a, uh, a month. That might be that we you know refresh some of the content because things change in the portal or just new features uh, are coming out. Um, but yeah, so that it's it's been really cool. We've gone just over a hundred videos in there now, fifty PowerShell scripts. Incredible. Um, so it is quite a fantastic library, we think, for just for any IT tech. And we've also been, I think, we've been really nice about it. We just charge if you're an MSP. There's there's one fee. It's not like per user or anything daft like that. It's as cheap as chips as we can make it because genuinely we want it to be useful. We want it to be helpful for people. Yeah. And what's the URL people need to go to? So you would go to uh, www.m365masterclass.com. Excellent. You are going to need, if you are listening to this and you're out driving, you are out walking or whatever, please don't scramble for the pen and paper because trust me when I say Scott's going to deliver a whole lot of value bombs in the next few minutes to come because we're going to start <laughs> talking about tools. But we'll include uh, uh, the URLs, the resources, everything that Scott talks about in the show notes for this show, which you can get at tublog.co.uk. So let's dive a little bit deeper. This season of Tub Talk is all around the MSP toolkit, the tools, the solutions that people use. What are the platforms that you use to run Cloud Nexus? Because whilst you're a Microsoft solutions shop, there's also surely got to be tools that you use to deliver those solutions, maintain and monitor them. Oh, my goodness, yes. Um, so we, Microsoft has its limits. Uh, I'm not I'm not crazy. Uh, so there are some things that it just doesn't do uh, right now. And then that keeps changing, but it'll get there. Um, so to run our business, we, we use lots of different products and services. We actually have... If, you know, if you're a member of the tech tribe, uh, for the audience, you'll know that we have these kind of good, better, best type stacks. Um, and we have the same thing when it comes to our managed IT. It just happens that we don't deliver most of the things in that stack um, because we have some fantastic partnerships. But if I think about things that we use to run the business, um, obviously, we have an RMM tool. So we currently use Halo PSA. Um, it's been fantastic for us. We've, we've tried a couple of different ones. We're at the smaller end of the usage for that because in reality, our managed service is taken care of by uptime. And so they actually have a ticketing system that they use to take care of all that and right. an RMM tool. Um, they use data auto tasks. So bearing in mind, because we outsource to those guys, a lot of that stuff is taken care of. But internally, we use Halo PSA uh, because it allows us to take care of things like, um, you know, billing, invoicing, quick quotes. The guys can get their own quotes out without us or without it being a dependency on me. Um, obviously, we use Zero for all of our finance systems. We do use tools for third-party patching because um, Microsoft Intune doesn't do that. It'll patch Office and it'll patch Windows, of course, uh, but it doesn't really do third-party things. So we use uh, Heimdall, a product called Heimdall. Um, in the UK, you can get that through a distributor called Brigantia, but I'm sure there are other uh, options available for distribution. But Heimdall is a fantastic tool 
Really, really easy to deploy. Again, we deploy it using Intune, but it will just take care of all the third-party apps, keep them patched, keep them updated. You can even do clever things like put limits in place. So if the customer's only licensed up to version 15 of this product, we say, hey, don't let it update over version 15. Keep it inside that cycle. Very cool. It's super, super simple. It's even got some end-user self-service. Oh. Uh, whilst I think about end-user self-service, we use PAX8 as our distribution platform for Microsoft licenses. That saves us a ton of headaches. Uh, automatic provisioning of licenses into tenants and things like that. Again, customers can self-serve. So once again, we are not doing anything for that, that action. Customers can add licenses or remove licenses. Yes, yes, NCE, we all know. But, but if they're allowed, they can add and remove licenses as they want to. Um, we then go on to using things like, so I talked about, uh, uptime, which I'll, I'll touch on, but um, we use IT Glue for documentation. We use Keeper for password synchronization and management. Um, we also use Keeper for clients as well, so they can have their own repository. Um, we were with uh, another product that recently decided they're not going to do password solutions anymore. Uh, so we had to quickly move and the community were fantastic in saying that Keeper was simply the best. And I have to agree. It's it's yeah. just been absolutely fantastic for us to move across to Keeper. Um, we then have things in our stack. like So we do uh, end-user cybersecurity awareness training. Um, so we use a product called Know Before. Um, there are some really great options out there. But again, we're based in the UK. And so there were some great specific UK-based content in there. Um, we did try a couple of other products. I'm trying to remember the name of, but they were more kind of North American focused. Right. And so just for our particular audience, it made sense to go with no before. Um, but again, they have some fantastic options where again, they will, you know, set up the training programs, email the users, make sure that people are, you know, involved and engaged. And, and if they're not, then you can ping managers to say, Hey, your guys haven't been through their training. All of that's kind of automated, but they then have a phishing campaign as part of that, almost like as a checkbox option. So you get this fully managed phishing campaign that's happening to the end users. And it's all, and it, it looks great. You know, it, it's it's regional specific. So here it might be something that looks like it's come from the UK government or an Amazon delivery or a parcel delivery. They're very convincing and yeah. no two emails are the same. So like if you've got two people sat next to each other, they're not going to get exactly the same email. Go, like, oh, mate, that's a, uh, that's a phishing test. Don't click that. <laughs> um, so again, it's another one of those things where it's great value for the client to have this phishing campaign, but we don't do anything for it. It's a fine I spoke to, um, service. Forgive me for interrupting because I spoke, fascinating to hear all the different tools, but on the, the phishing and the cybersecurity awareness. So I spoke to uh, Alex Martin of LMS Group, who are uh, an MSP down south, and he was absolutely raving about Usecure, uh, which sounds oh, as though it might yeah. be, you know, uh, an alternative tool to uh, to the tool that you just mentioned there. What, yeah. a, you know, a great time to be an MSP because when I was running my business, you know, that education piece was really lacking uh, for end users. And we were the ones who picked up the, uh, the Slack. So uh, wonderful to hear. And I also picked up this, a lot of commonality. You know, we've had a number of guests on the show this season. PAX 8 just keeps coming up again and again from people just raving about uh, uh, PAX 8. So, uh, yeah, tell us more. Uh, and again, don't worry if you haven't got a pen and paper. We are <laughs> noting all of these things because Scott is going at quite a pace here, but please continue. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, and I, I was thinking actually there's a, a fantastic set of products called Fish Me as well, um, right. which are really, really good at that fishing thing. And we just, again, we we got really, really excited around the no before side of things and it happened to have a fishing module 
which turned out to be amazing. So we were just really happy with that. Um, what else is in the stack? Thinking, thinking, thinking. We've already covered, yeah, we do the third-party patching. We do the anti-phishing protection. So we did used to have a third-party uh, web content filter. Okay. Uh, but recently, um, so we used NEDNS um, for that. But recently, Microsoft 365 Business Premium and, and other licenses now include a web content filter. It's not as comprehensive. Genuinely, it isn't. It's it's quite basic. But actually, quite basic is really quite good for many of the clients that we speak to, especially that SME size. They just want to filter you know, the main categories. And so we go ahead and do that. You can add allow lists and block lists quite easily as well. And that tends to be good enough you know, for yes. what they need. It's, it's not all singing or dancing. In the same way, we use Windows Defender for antivirus rather than using a third-party product because, again, we can set all those policies and controls inside Endpoint. Yes, I know there are fantastic products like Bitdefender and, and Sophos, you know, IntercepteX. I know, but also I'm kind of a strong advocate for if I can control it all in one place, in one tool set that all kind of talks to itself and then communicates with itself, I've got a better chance of, of our guys getting that right and then the customer staying safe right. rather than having multiple best of breed products with different control panels and different, you know, connections and that's just our approach. I understand different people approach that differently. Um, but I think probably the, the biggest tool that we have in our arsenal is that uptime solutions. And I think so let's it's, dig into that a little bit further. So for, for anybody who's not familiar with uptime solutions, you know, we interviewed uptime senior management team back in Tub Talk 78. And Jason Kemsley is a great uh, uh, mutual friend of ours, yours and I. Uh, he returned in Tub Talk 89 to talk about this whole concept of successful outsourcing. Now, to say the subject of outsourcing is of interest to MSPs would be a massive understatement. Anytime you, me, Pete and Nigel do behind the geeks and we talk about outsourcing, and we get a flood of questions. I've had the uptime guys on this podcast twice. You know, th there's barely a day goes by where an MSP doesn't ask me about outsourcing. And yet, and yet, there are so many MSPs out there who think it would be heresy to outsource their help desk to somebody else. So share with us a little bit about why you've partnered with Uptime, what Uptime do for you, and why that model of outsourcing your help desk doesn't devalue you as an MSP. Sure thing. Yeah, yeah. I... I you know, we, as I said, we started off as a boutique consultancy. We quickly learned that we needed to provide IT support services for, for those clients. It isn't something that we wanted to do ourselves. And having run IT help desks previously, um, I didn't want to do it, if I'm really honest. <laughs> I, I just didn't want to do it. It's, yeah. it's a hard thing to do. Um, you get a lot of churn with staff. You get a lot of variability in quality. You need a service desk team leader. You need a service desk manager. You need all those things. And then you need all the tools to go with it. And we were looking at, you know, at uh, one of the, the PSA and RMM tools. It was combined. And we were staring down the gun of a £6,000 implementation fee just to get the tooling in place. I was like, oof. Okay. Plus we need, you know, at least two people to, to cover the hours that we want and, and do IT support. And what if one of them's sick and on holiday? All, all those things kind of came in. And I've got to be honest, it's the least interesting part of our business is mm. answering IT tickets. I forgot my password. The printer doesn't print, word doesn't word. The people that are phoning service desk, in my opinion, 
are, are calling because they have a technical issue that needs a technical resolution by the best person on that first phone call. Right. That's what they need. They don't need one of my fancy consultants. And I don't have a team of, of, of that ready to go. I can try and build one, but imagine, again, the distraction on me and our consultant level guys to try and build that capability in-house. It's some real hard miles. And what I had to do then was go and look at the real value of it. How much is this worth? How much could I charge per user per month for this IT service desk type feature? Um, and if I bust it down, you know, I take our stack and, I, and if I just take the help desk bit, okay, let's say it's worth about £25 per user out, out of whatever we might charge in the good, better, best. But let's say it's worth about £25 retail. I then look at that and go, right, how much is it going to cost for me to develop that capability in-house? Now let's look at how much it's going to cost me to outsource it to someone. So who do we look at? We look at Continuum, uh, if they're still called Continuum because they were uh, bought at Connect 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, we look at InBay. Um, and then there was another organization I'm trying to remember the name of. And then we looked at a company called Uptime that we'd never heard of. And the main things that were concerning me was I wanted a UK-based help desk for UK-based customers. Yes, there are help desks in um, the Philippines and you know in, in a couple of other countries that are amazing. There's there's some great ones in the US, um, but I was concerned about time zones, people being awake, uh, language, you know, uh, issues. You know, would there be any any kind of speed bump? And also, would it feel like us? One of the mm. really important things was, would it feel like us when they pick up the phone and talk to someone? Did it feel like Cloud Nexus? Because, you know, we have a certain way that we work with people and a certain enthusiasm and, and you know, a bit of fun of how we do things. Um, but sometimes they don't want that. They just, <laughs> I just want my ticket fixed. Um, <laughs> but would it feel like you were talking to Cloud Nexus? And so I went through all these, these different people, looked at the different price points. And in the end, I... I found Jason at, at Uptime and I had a first call and it was with Jason um, and we just kind of did a discovery and, and he's such a, you know, personable, affable, fantastic guy to chat to. You just got a real great feeling from him. Wonderful chap, yeah. and, and he's explaining, you know, their service desk now, um, it's, it's UK based. So the UK hours, seven till seven are based in the UK. They have an overflow for the 24 by seven side of things, which is seven till seven in New Zealand. And I'm like, cool. Who doesn't like to talk to a Kiwi? Everybody <laughs> loves to talk to a, a guy from New Zealand. They're just, you know, they're really friendly and affable. But the way that worked for me was, like, you've, you've hit this on the head, Jason, seven till seven. And then instead of doing what most MSPs do is have someone on call who's already worked a full day, is tired, might not be the right expert for that particular ticket that comes in right. because it might not be their skill set, but they're the on-call person today. They had a whole team of people wide awake because it's their morning and it's the middle of their day and they're ready to rock. So if, if a ticket comes in, there's you know five or six of them there in your pod, they're awake and they're fully skilled to go and do it. I was like, cool, this all makes sense. All right, how much is it going to cost? And this is where the kicker came in. So I met Pete Matheson, who you you guys from the audience have probably seen on uh, Behind the Geeks with me and Richard on Thursdays. I met Pete Matheson as a coach. We were first introduced as a business coach, an MSP coach. I, I had Pete coaching us for the first 12 months. Um, and I was asking him, Pete, how much did you pay for service desk people? How, what was the cost to run service desk for when you reached 1,000 endpoints? 
And he was really candid and he gave me the numbers. And I looked at Jason's cost over uptime and put a thousand endpoints in. And we were like, it's cheaper. Yeah. It's cheaper for me to outsource a thousand, you know, endpoints, a thousand users of IT support service and put the margin on it and sell it out at 25 pounds per user. It's cheaper to do that than bring the people in-house and do it. It's also easier. It's less hassle. I don't have the team to manage. I don't have to do service delivery. Bonus, I don't have to buy a PSA or an RMM system. I don't have to buy IT glue. That all came as part of the package with uptime. Well, Scott, all the things you're mentioning here strikes me, forgive me for interrupting you, all the things that you're talking about, all the reasons that you're outsourcing are all the reasons that we as MSPs speak to our clients and say, hey, you shouldn't hire somebody internally because you've got to pay them sick pay. You've got to train them. Yeah. They take holidays. They're a pain in the backside to manage because employees are. And we say to them, don't worry about all that. Outsource it to the specialists and we'll look after it for you. So it strikes me that this is a slam dunk for managed service providers for all the reasons that you're talking about. But forgive me for interrupting. I just thought, oh, no. you know, that, that's, you know it, we're effectively asking our clients to do something that many of us are pushing back at doing with our own MSP businesses. You're absolutely right. You know, we, we ask clients to outsource to us because we are the best and brightest at what we do. We have that niche expertise in this thing. Well, I've got to be honest, our, our niche expertise here at CloudDexas is not running an IT service desk. But I tell you what, Uptime are really fantastic at it. And when you looked at the costs, it just made sense. Now, I'm not going to talk about what you know Jason's costs are because I'm sure they're variable per client. But for us, when we look at it, it just makes sense. The margin that we can make inside that £25 per user, or you know, it's it's fantastic for something that we don't do anything for. And I think about it like I think about that phishing campaign stuff. This is an amazing service. The clients get a great, you know, care and attention and everything they need. And we're we're doing everything the MSP needs to do. But I'm not doing that. We're not doing that. And we're still making fantastic margin on it. And actually, when I did those raw numbers, we're making the same, if not more margin than if we had all that hassle in-house. Now, I know because I've heard the the counter argument. Well, if you outsource your help desk, you're outsourcing that first point of contact for every person who calls. And so you're outsourcing your identity and you're outsourcing the, the care and, and feel and attention, you know, the culture. It's not you, you know, you, it just doesn't work. I think that can be true if, if you pick the wrong outsource part. Agreed. Genuinely, I think it could be. I can see it. What I can only tell you from our experience is that outsourcing to uptime has been absolutely amazing. The, the guys are fantastic. My customers rave about the people on the service desk by name. Because again, the way it works is it's not just a pot of people. There are five named people who deal with all of our customers. So we have, they have a pod system. There are five people in the pod plus a team leader. They're the same five people. So when our customers talk to them and say, oh yeah, you know, I was talking to Jay on the service desk. And again, they talk to them as if you know they think it's just part of one big organization. For us as a team of five, we now have another team of five in the service desk, plus a service delivery manager, so six. But we we have that as just like this blended thing. We have conversations in the background. Oh, the customers asked us to do this. Are you okay for us to go ahead and do that? Yeah, crack on. Is it something you'd rather pick up? No, no, no. We've had feedback from the service desk team 
I've had a conversation with this customer. They're really interested in getting uh, Intune, but they don't have the licenses for it. Um, I've spoke to them about stepping up the licenses and they're really interested. Can you have a chat with them and get the, the licenses upgraded and get the new costs over to them? I'm like, so you've just done sales. <laughs> yeah. You've just upsold a, one of our customers from business standard to business premium because they wanted this. Yeah, yes. Yes, I can. Yeah, I can do that. The, the, the relationship is fantastic. And I don't think that we miss anything by outsourcing that. As I said earlier, I don't think it's a huge point of, of care and attention that the, the end users are looking for when they're not looking at like, oh, does that sound like Cloud Nexus? Does that sound like they, they care? They're phoning because they've got a technical issue or a problem or whatever it is. And if they speak to the best person at the right time, they can answer it on that call. That's that's the experience that they want. And that's the experience that we get through uptime. Yeah. And I don't doubt that you could you could do that inside your MSP. I don't doubt that. But what I've seen in, in a lot of MSPs, because I, again, I, I partner with a lot, I've, I've worked for a few, um, is that the service desk is, is you know, it's, it's a mismatch because they've got such a huge portfolio of things to look after. It can be a bit hit and miss if you get the right person on the call who can do that specific thing. Um, and so I think, you know, it can be hard, but where we've kind of niched in on our product set and a very specific stack of offerings, we've teamed up with that with uptime. We know that they're fantastic at those things. We also know where they're not fantastic at things. Right. And that's really important. When you've outsourced, you, you learn what the limits are, right? So I'm not saying it's all sunshine and flowers. There are some things that we're better at doing than uptime are better at doing. Well, let's for, let's let's tackle that because it's probably fair to say that you and I are uh, evangelical about outsourcing. You know, um, we, we're both cut from the same cloth. If I rewind sort of 15, 20 years, I outsourced my um, um, knock uh, within the MSP business to a company called Zenith Infotech, who were one of the, uh, the, the pioneers in this industry. What I think Jason and Bradley and the team at Uptime Solutions is, have done is really finessed this. However, I am very aware that outsourcing is not a good fit for everyone. In fact, some folks are going to be listening to this and saying, sounds great, but I'm really nervous about outsourcing outsourcing my help desk, my knock, my sock. What would you say to them, Scott? What are the, we've talked about the positives, what are the things that don't work for you about outsourcing? So specifically with Uptime, the, the things that don't work, um, they are very SLA driven. Okay, so they then they hit their SLAs every single time. Now, let's say a new user has an SLA of, I think, might be 24 or 48 hours. You, you would think I know, but I, I don't because that's how much this stuff runs itself. But there's an SLA that's attached to that. Now, when you get one of your clients that goes, oh, heck, I totally forgot. There's a new guy starting tomorrow. Right. And I need an account set up and, and this, this is. And they've sent it to you at four o'clock on a Monday and this person's coming at nine o'clock tomorrow. Uptime aren't going to hit that. They're not going to have that account ready. They might, but they're very unlikely to because they they work within those SLAs. And they, you know, we, we get the reports back and they smash every single SLA, but the category for that request is down here and it will be serviced within the SLA. But... The, the client needs a favor. And, and, and those are the types of requests that don't make it through with Uptime, right. yeah. um, in my experience. Um, and so what we've, because we rate, we retain the relationship with the client, right? So we, we always say to them, look, if, 
you know, if you've got something for the service desk, get it to the service desk. If you've got something that's, you know, urgent or, you know, something just out of the blue, let us know because we'll, we'll pick it up differently. And we, and we talk to them that way. Um, you can also get uh, uptime to link their ticket system with your ticket system. So as tickets come in, you can get those copied to your ticket system. So you can then see the tickets that are coming in per client. And so you can have a quick review and spot anything that is kind of urgent or out of the ordinary that is the normal SLA isn't going to work. Now, don't get me wrong. They do have a concept of VIPs. So if there are requests from VIPs, they have their own way of, of kind of dealing with those and make sure that people get the right care of love and attention. But if it's just something where the clients just missed it and they're like, look, could you just... Most of the times, that's not going to get picked up by uptime. And I totally understand it because they've got so many clients to look after and so many tickets to run. They have to run in that thing. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I would say that they they just can't do as well as we do is project-based work. Mm. So, And that's more around lead time. It's not a capability. It's lead time. So, for example, they might say, hey, you know, this... this um, this on-premise box is filling up full of files. We think you, the guy should move it across to SharePoint. Do you want us to do it for you? And you're like, yeah, cool. Actually, that would be really cool. That'd be fantastic. We'll have the chat with the customer. You guys can go and do with that. When can you do it? And it's generally like, I think in that specific instance, I think it was four weeks or six weeks away right. because they were just busy with project work. And we're like, right, we could do it next weekend and just have it done because we know what it is. We do them all the time. And we've got availability to just go, let's get that set up and, and rolled in between the other projects. But they don't seem to have that flexibility when it comes to project work. So it's always a much longer lead time than we would do ourselves. That makes sense. Um, so, that, so that's sort of the flip side of the coin there for, for balance. Based on everything that you've said, though, do you still think that outsourcing a service desk function, the help desk function, is still a good fit for, let's just say, the majority of MSPs that you come across? Well, let me tell you this. My initial plan was, let's go ahead. We don't have a service desk function. Let's go ahead and use uptime for the first 12 months. Right. Let's see, do we need to sell many of these clients? Are we going to get many signed up? You know, Are, are we going to you know, succeed in the first 12 months, you know, all of those questions. Um, and it was always going to be, we'll do that temporarily. And the moment that we started working with them, we just went, there is no need to try and build this in-house. We, we thought, let's do it temporarily. And then let's build our capability in-house to do that if we have to do it. And, and we started working with them. The clients were delighted. The price point was fantastic. The margins are great. We, we looked and just went, we're not doing anything. <laughs> occasionally we get asked a question occasionally we get a, an escalation but we're not doing anything these guys are doing everything and then we get a report at the end of the month that says this client raised 25 tickets this client raised 50 tickets this client and i'm like we didn't do anything for these it just worked and we made margin on it Happy and days. when i speak to the clients this is the really important thing when i speak to the clients they're happy they, they love the service. They love the guys. They know the same five guys that they speak to every time. It just works. But we've we've learned those shortcomings, if you like, of, you know, the I need a favor yeah. or I want a piece of project work. And we figured, you know, that stuff that we're best serviced internally. And that's cool. We, we understand the limits of, of what they're fantastic at and what we're fantastic at. And it works well together because the customers get what they want. So in answer to your question, 100%. 
Yeah. I'm so happy. And I'd recommend to anyone to outsource that service desk function. And if you're if you're nervous about it, don't forget you don't, it's not like you're making a switch and saying, right, we're going to outsource everything. You could outsource one client, outsource your most painful client, the one, mm. <laughs> the one that your guys don't want to deal with. Outsource them because Jason's guys will, will deal with it and they'll be they'll be lovely about it. It's all about getting the documentation right, getting the handover right for those clients, getting that nailed because then the service desk have the absolute best chance of supporting those customers. You know, we use IT glue for documentation, obviously for passwords and all those things. But if we've set up, I don't know, autopilot, we might say, hey, here's everything that autopilot does. Here's things that it doesn't do. And occasionally this team needs access to these applications, which is stored over here. We can't autopilot it for boring technical reasons, but you might have to install this bit manually. And as long as we keep those documents up to date and we work together um, and, and we sense the feedback, you know, if the same problems keep coming back, you still have to do a bit of service management, but not a lot. Mm. You know, our service delivery manager pings us and says, hey, you know, I think we're seeing the same of these things. It's, it's taking, you know, an hour or two hours each occasion. Is there anything we could do better between us? And I'm like, yeah, hey, do you know what? We could set up some policies or some endpoint or some autopilot that will smash that out of the way. And they just go, cool. Okay, let's let's do that. And so we just have that great relationship with the service delivery manager to, to keep that thing running. But it's so lightweight yeah. and it's such a good service. There's There's no reason to not do it. And I genuinely challenge the people who are going, well, you know, it's part of our identity to do first line really well. Is it? Or could you not outsource and then take those guys, you know, train them up to be more consultative? And I, I genuinely think now of IT service desk as we used to think about exchange servers. Oh, I need my exchange server on premise. It's really important. No, 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 no. And now it's just a commodity. You go and tick and say, yeah, this guy needs a mailbox. And somewhere in 365, the magic happens to make a mailbox. No one's looking after exchange servers anymore. But the guys have got their time freed up to spend more time with the customers. I genuinely think that's the same with help desk. Very if interesting. You can stream down your MSP, outsource those. I'm not saying get rid of the people, reuse those people to spend more time. I mean, cybersecurity is huge. Well, let's talk I mean, about that. If I can forgive me for interrupting yeah, you, Scott. Yeah, so no, we no, talked no. about service desk. I mentioned NOC, Network Operations Center, that we used to outsource the patching, the monitoring. Do you out, so you outsource your service desk to your help desk to Uptime Solutions? Do they look after the NOC side of things as well? They do. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, literally, the, the, the service desk with them is, is anything IT related. They so what about the cybersecurity side of things? So on the cybersecurity side, they have a managed SOC service. So yeah. it's not it's not in the standard help desk service. There is then a, a, you know, an escalation. You know, so you let's can, explain that for people who have not come across a SOC before, a security operations center. That's right. Oh, yeah. And so you can you can pay extra per user per month to have them inside a managed security operations center. And so then again, uptime are doing all of that effort, looking at the incidents, the triage, the feedback, that's what the security operations center is doing as part of the outsource service. Because again, that is a hard thing to do for an MSP. And it's a hard thing to take responsibility for as well. And we keep talking about this whole thing around MSPs and MSSPs, so managed yeah. you know, security service providers. It's really hard for people to, to be great at everything. You know, you, it's, it's such a changing landscape all the time. And, and especially with cybersecurity and threat prevention, oh my goodness, is that difficult. You know, there are amazing tools. I mean, even things like Huntress, 
Huntress is a fantastic set of applications and tools, but it's backed up by real people. Mm. And, and that is one of the most powerful things that you can do is, you know, spend that time now. Think about Service Desk as the commodity, genuinely. Think about how you can outsource that. Now think about how can we actually make sure that our clients are safe and that, you know, let's be honest, the legislation is changing here in the UK. They're, they're trying to put forward these proposals around making the managed service provider more accountable for cyber breaches. So how do we prepare ourselves? How do we protect ourselves as MSP business owners to say, do you know what? Genuinely, we did do the best that we could. We have secured that client. We did put the right monitoring in place. And we had a set of people who could review the logs, the issues, the incidents, and triage it and make a decision about whether this was a risk. Well, I can't do that internally. I, I need a partner to do that. You can, you can, you know, it's this whole thing that we always talk about. It's, it's you can build it internally or you can buy it. It's the whole buy and build thing. Genuinely, again, I would look at that and go, well, you know, I, I can get our guys to set up 365 tip top. We can smash the security, but there's still always risks. There's still always holes. What you need is someone looking at that, looking at those incidents and alerts and, and going, yes, we need to take action. And I genuinely encourage people to partner up with a cybersecurity specialist firm. Yeah, Because do you know what? They're going to help you stay accountable as well. I think that's the real thing. Because if you're serious about this, you care about the customers, you care about the data breaches. And, and I suppose ultimately you don't want to be subject to some legal action because something has gone horribly wrong, let's be honest. Um, you should have a partner that is going to help you with the cybersecurity aspects if you can't do it yourself. You know, and I look at it the same way that I look at all the other things. We're not great at service desk. We're not great at, you know, we're not cybersecurity experts. We're not dynamics experts. We we have partnerships in place for those things. Focus on your core competencies and build relationships with others. For, for balance, I should say, you know, I spoke to Alex Martin of LMS Group on, on this uh, season as well. And uh, Alex is the um, uh, the security uh, cybersecurity analyst at LMS Group. So that's a specific position that they've created. He's got a degree in cybersecurity and you know, awesome, an absolute rock star, what he does. I did ask Alex, though, I was like, what would you do? Not every MSP can resource a cybersecurity expert. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. they're like hen's teeth. They're very, very difficult to get somebody with that skill. So I think, you know, there's both sides of the coin there. Um, and, you know, outsourcing your security to somebody who lives and breathes that stuff is a powerful way to not only keep your clients safe, but to focus on what you do best, which in your case, Scott, is delivering the Microsoft solution stack. Yeah, and, and I, I guess I should be really careful saying what I'm not uh, suggesting there is that you abdicate responsibility. Definitely not, no. You, you, know, you are still accountable, but if you can't do it well internally, and, and these cybersecurity guys, I mean, the, the price on those is going up and up and up. Um, and if you can get one in your organization, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost a lot. Can you keep them entertained? Can you keep them interested? Or are they going to get itchy feet because there's not enough work to do? You know, for, for some organizations, that's, that's a real risk. Um, or is outsourcing, even if it's just outsourcing until you build the capability in-house and then right. you realize, do you know what? We have quite a, quite a market for this now. We're getting quite a lot of revenue. We can increase our margin by bringing this in-house if we can do it well. Um, but yeah, you're not abdicating responsibility. It's absolutely a partnership between you and the outsourced cybersecurity firm, you still do you and do as, as best as you can, but those guys are going to help you be accountable. 
and and see, you know, when you set these, you know, uh, systems up, you deploy these routers or switches or firewalls or, you know, 365, you consistently miss these things. Let's get a, you know, an SOP that we always deploy it like this. And, and they can help you with that feedback as well. Yeah. So it's it's a really great way to stay safe for you and, and look after your clients. Alex mentioned in his uh, interview, um, and Alex is the cybersecurity analyst for LMS Grouper, MSP down south. I said, well, you know, how do you go about tackling this issue of cybersecurity that every MSP does? And Alex actually said, I believes it's a cultural thing. You need to build a culture of cybersecurity. You need to eat your own dog food. So Alex was talking about you secure. They use it in their own onboarding with their own staff, as well as uh, as uh, 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 putting it out there to, to clients as well. When it comes to culture, how would you describe your relationship with Uptime Solutions? What's the culture like there? Oh my goodness. It's it's such a fantastic relationship. You know, if I think about the people that we work with on a day-to-day basis, it's incredible. It is like they are part of the team. We are one team. That's exactly how it feels. It doesn't feel like we're a separate team. Um, I will get, like, we, we occasionally get escalations because there are some things that are chargeable, okay? There are some things they're going to do. It's outside the scope of, of IT support, you know, setting up a new device, whatever it is. It, it might be chargeable. The guys will ping me a, a phone call, a Teams call, an email, um, and then they'll be like, Dude, we are waiting on you. I'm like, okay, okay, right, okay, yeah, yeah, I got it. They, they, it just feels like one team. It doesn't feel like we've, you know, thrown that to one side and we don't really see it. I'll be honest, we don't see it on a day-to-day basis. But when the escalations come in, they are so hot at just going, hey, you're holding us up. We we need to get this stuff done. Your customers waiting on right. you. And I'm like, okay, okay. Um, so it's 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 fantastic. And then. When you speak to people like uh, Natalie, who works as our service delivery manager, and Jason, it's just so nice. They totally understand what we need as an MSP, what they need to focus on. And they're humble enough to, you know, have partner advisory councils to say, hey, you know, are we hitting the right notes for you? What would you like us to focus on? Here are our performance numbers across all the group. Have you had any pains, you know, with our scaling? Because, we're, you know, we're doing really well as a business and we're adding more and more service as people. Is that obvious? Is it transparent that there are pains? Have you seen anything? So they're humble enough to ask for that feedback as well, which I think is really encouraging. You know, a lot of these people might just go, no, it's great. There's no problems. We're doing fantastic. Look, we deal with millions of tickets. Uh, Some of them might be a bit slower than others. They're not like that. They're so approachable. Um, And and Brad too, we we don't speak with Brad as much. Jason is our, you know, sort of main senior point of contact. Natalie is our day-to-day service delivery manager. Liam looks after our team. And then we have the whole team of, of, of the five guys. So we have so many contact points, but genuinely... We, we try not to bother them because they're doing a great job. <laughs> it's just, they will be it thrilled. It works. They'll be thrilled to hear that. I actually spoke to, to Jason this morning. He's across in New Zealand. And again, full disclosure, you know, I'm an advisor to Uptime Solutions. I'm, and the reason I do that is all the reasons that Scott has just talked about. Wonderful uh, people to work with. Let's talk, let's shine a light though on perhaps the competition a little bit there. Did you consider any other platforms before you decided on uptime? Because you've already mentioned there are others out there. Yeah. So we we looked at uh, Continuum. We looked at InBay. Those are the two main other ones. Um, Both of those I ruled out personally because of the offshoring. Right. Um, And so I just wasn't comfortable. Again, 
my 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 heart was set on could I get a UK based service? There must be someone who's doing this uh, because we have primarily UK based managed IT customers. Um, so it was it was kind of you know a time zone issue, a language communication issue, and because I was outsourcing, I was very very conscious of it feeling like an offshore service. Yeah, I wanted it to appear that this is Cloud Nexus, we're Cloud Nexus, and this is one team. And if we suddenly had this offshore team of five people, you know, who, who were based in a different country, it all became very apparent that it wasn't mm. Cloud Nexus. Um, and I know, you know, I know that that's changed now. With yeah, you know, as I look at it, uh, you know, I think that was probably you know a two years ago mindset before we had everything that's happened. Potentially think, an assumption as well, perhaps on your part, Scott. Yeah, I've spoken yeah. to MSPs to say, you know, our clients would never put it with a service desk based somewhere else. And I was like, have you asked them? Because yeah. in many cases, in the majority of cases, in my experience, when you speak to your client, they couldn't care less how the problem gets solved or by who, as yeah. long as it's resolved for them. So. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, and, and I'm happy to be wrong in the assumption that I made at the time. Because it, it, I think... You know, barriers have been brought down a lot over the last two years in terms of where people work, you know, geographically local to an office or even in the same country. Nobody cares. You know, there's there's so much now that's empowered by the tools that we use to keep in touch with each other that actually it wouldn't matter. And, and funnily enough, you know, the reason that, that Jason and the team at Uptime have got a New Zealand office is that one of their guys was moving to New Zealand. And they were like, well, why don't you just stay working for us? but you can set up our New Zealand office. I'm like, okay. And and all of a sudden they've got 24 by seven and, you know, they start a new division. Part of that was, was, you know, inspired by the fact this guy was going to move to New Zealand. Um, And I I genuinely think, you know, as I I talk to you and you talk about, you know, your VA services and your, your, you know, executive services that you have running your organization with you, they're all over the world. Yeah. Genuinely, and and it's it's now about it's not about geographical location. It's about capability. Now, I'm I'm obviously two years into this journey, and I wouldn't change from uptime because they've proven the capability. But I think you're right. If I was to make the decision again today, I might be interested to go. Well, who's the best, regardless of geography? But two years ago, I I wanted the UK services, and that's specifically why I, I picked uptime. I guess that was the the leading. But then when I met them and I chatted with them and I got to know them and I was like, boy, is this a good fit? Culturally, you know, just personally, these guys get it. We can get on. And that was super important. You know, sometimes when you're dealing with the account managers in these larger outsourced organizations, they're the account managers. They they weren't there to, you know, they they were there to to sign more people up and get more seats. And they didn't really deal with the service desk. It wasn't part of their their day-to-day job. They were just there to get signups. I spoke to Jason and he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, me and Brad run this business. Oh, oh, cool. Okay. So you're speaking with someone who's very influential, really, really cares how well the service desk is delivering, isn't really bothered whether you sign up or not, because he's got plenty of people signing up, but is really honest about what they're fantastic at. And even, you know, on the first opportunity that we didn't win, Jason jumped on the call with a prospect, very large prospect that we were going for, probably shooting, uh, what's what's the best expression? We were punching above our weight, I guess. (laughs) Um, But he joined the call as our service desk manager. Wow. He said, oh, hi, I'm Jason. I'm the service desk manager. And he helped us try and go through the cell. And I was like, 
wow have we found i mean i, I imagine he doesn't have time to, to do that these days but i was just like wow have we found like a great partner that is genuinely wants to help us close more business and get more managed services they are like the gold standard for partnering just lovely people to work with as well you know there's a, there's a reason i do advisory work with them as well if you are listening to this and you think who are these guys uptime solutions that scott and richard are just waxing on about well uh, if you want to find out more about uptime solutions then you can check out the resources page we've put together to accompany this episode go to tub.co forward slash uptime that's tub t-u-double-b .co forward slash uptime, and we will include that in the show notes as well. Scott, I think we've talked enough about Jason Bradley and the team there. We're likely to give them really swollen heads if we continue <laughs> doing that, although they are lovely people and so humble as well, as you say. Back to you. I'm intrigued. What have you found the most challenging thing about running Cloud Nexus? What's been the biggest challenge for you over the last three, three and a half years, is it now? Uh, so we're just going into year three now. Genuinely, the, the 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 hardest part was hiring the first person, mm. um, because when I set out the business, it was just me, uh, and it was consultancy, and it was it was okay. You know, I didn't have any any financial issues. I'd come away from the, the previous business with a teeny tiny shareholding, and it was it was worth something. You know, uh, and so I had about a 12 month runway of just, you know, I, I can do this. And if it all goes horribly wrong, I'll just go and get a job. Someone, someone will probably give me a job. Um, and then, you know, it starts to pick up and take off. And, and within three months, it was like, oof, I, I need to hire someone. And it was at that stage, I was just like, oh my goodness. Like if this goes wrong, it's not, it's, it's okay for me, but you're messing with someone's mortgage, someone's family. And, I really agonized over that decision. Mm. Um, and I found it so challenging. And, you know, it leads me on to the, the, the genuine, I mean, that, that was hard. But the hardest thing that happened probably within that same year, so it, Ben, who was employee number one, uh, kind of joined in the, the February or March time. And in October, we were up to four people um, and we had horrendous cash flow issues. Right. Because people were not paying their bills on time. We, we had sort of 80,000 pounds owed to us, but a lot of it was late, uh, big organizations, slow payers, some people 60 days over. And, and I was looking at the bank balance just going, we're not going to make payroll. And, I, and I, I remember it clearly. It was in October and I was, I was gutted. I was heartbroken. I was stressed. It was horrendous. Um, and I had to go and phone people and say, look, I'm sorry, you're really late. Um, you know, we're a small business. I need you to pay. And I had to essentially go around and begging people to pay. Um, and we worked with another small partner here in Leeds and they were just like, what's going on? I'm like, this, mate, this is the situation. I was really blunt with them. This is where we are. People haven't paid their bills. I'm, I'm struggling. And he was kind enough to go, cool, let me just clear all the invoices. I know some of them are, are fine. Some of them we still got 30 days on. Let me just pay everything so that you've got the cash. And just that one partner doing that meant that we then had enough to make payroll and then we could Amazing. continue chasing down the other guys. But I remember that that day and that weekend was just, it was one of the worst because you're looking it's at the, the bank uh, balance going, there's no money. You know, I know, horror, I know, isn't I, it? It's, it, the, it's that. And then I look at yeah. zero and it goes, yeah, but look at you. You're amazing. You've got 80 grand that people On owe paper, you. You're loaded. Cash yeah. in the bank, not so much. No. And and so, you know, that was something that really taught us a lesson around, you know, payment terms. Because again, 
first year, you're all nicey-nicey and, oh, yeah, you know, pay us, but it's cool. Don't worry about it. Chill vibes, man. And then, like, that day hit like an absolute bombshell. Once you've experienced it the one time, you've learned the lesson for life, haven't yeah. you? I remember going through yeah, it myself. Yeah. Similar situation, and and you always credit control always becomes a priority after that because it's <laughs> yeah, such, it really does such yeah. a horrible feeling, is it? Let, let okay, let's turn to more positive things then. Flip side of the coin, yeah. What is your favorite thing about running Cloud Nexus? Oh my goodness, there are so many. Um, that I mean, I'm blessed with such an amazing team. Genuinely, they they're all absolute superstars. They they're amazing. Even you know some of them I've worked with before. Some people we brought in new, and we've just managed to create this really fun environment. I'm, I'm not going to say it's a culture, but it, I, I guess it is. It's it. Everyone is amazing with everyone else. You know, they're just lovely, supportive, helpful. You know, we appreciate when people uh, have challenges and we've kind of got this whole thing where we just go, look, if, if you're not okay, do you need a day? Just go take a day. Just nobody cares. The work will wait. You're more important than the customers. You're more important than the work. Well, whatever it is that you, you need to get done, we'll do it. You do you, go and take time. We've set up things like unlimited holiday plans, uh, tech training funds, and, and, and again, people are thinking, how do you how do you have unlimited holidays in a small business? Because no one's an idiot. They all know that we've got projects to do. Right? I, 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 who said it? It says, you know, why hire smart people and tell them what to do? We've we've got really smart people. They're capable of going. Yeah, I, I obviously can't take six or seven weeks off because that would dent the, the business. But everybody cares about where we are. Again, as open as I am with you on the finances, of course I am internally. So everyone knows where are we with the billing? Where are we with the invoicing? How much money's in the bank? And so it's under their own recognizance to go, you know what? I just need a day. I, I need space. Cool. Go. Don't worry about it. You don't even have to ask. Again, the guy who books holidays and goes, is it okay if I have two weeks off and make? What are you telling me for? Are, are the projects all going to be sorted? Have you figured it out with the guys who can shadow your projects? Go, go, go. Um, and it's, it's that that's just been amazing. And now I've had to learn that lesson seriously because the guys were looking at me going, when did you last have a holiday? Right. And I was like, oof, okay, you got me. As the as the player manager, I'm doing a bad job at this. Uh, and so now I've actually started a commitment where um, I'll take time, uh, but I'm actually taking time in a different way. And so I was explaining to you before this call, there's a gym, two doors up. Uh, and so I've started to make, you know, my personal health and fitness do a bit more of that. There's a gym right here. And so actually you might find me nipping out at lunchtime or you might find me finishing at half three to go and do a gym session when it's nice and quiet. There's, you know, a class going on there. I'll do that for an hour. And then that's me just kind of getting refreshed and getting some more of my time and energy back and, you know, investing in myself. And it's that freedom now, because as I always say, I'm making it my mission to be completely useless in my business so that I can step out and I can break free of the day-to-day stuff. Such a powerful goal. And I was about to say, where do you want Cloud Nexus to be in 18 months? But I think you've probably answered that. So what what does that plan look like for you? I'm not going to say extracting yourself from the business, but making yourself... not a single point of failure within your own business. What would you say the obstacles that might prevent you from achieving that goal? So I think right now, um, my two main roles are um, paying things out of the bank account Mm -hmm. and um, kind of sales and marketing, I guess, in terms of, 
you know, getting the brand out there and generating awareness, that stuff. We we have a, an amazing digital marketer, um, but the way that we spend my time is out in things like this, like interviews or, or panel discussions or giving back. The way I want to see my role develop is to spend more time with the, the MSP community. How can I help? What can I do? How can I give back the things that I've learned and been bitten in the bum back? Not just in the you know two or three years of running this, but in the twenty odd years of running an MSP before that. How can I help? You know, what advice and suggestion can I give? I'd love to see you know more of our time going into masterclass because I think it is a fantastic toolkit. And I just want to keep developing that so it's really useful. Um, and just if I can get rid of that bank account function then I'm probably free of, of day-to-day operations. Um, and then it's about, you know, sort of client management. So we might need like a client manager or a service delivery manager, something like that, or someone, one of the guys maybe to step into that function mm. and have another technical kind of project consultant delivery person. Um, but yeah, there's there's very little that I do that is kind of delivery focused. I spend most of my time talking to new prospects about what we can do and answering the questions really well so that the guys can go and deliver a great project. So I think, but that's the fun part, right? That That's the bit that I really enjoy. So I don't, I don't think I want to extract myself from that. Yeah. It's all the logistical stuff that I've, I've, I've managed to keep pushing off and handing away or automating the heck out of <laughs> much recommended Zappy as my friend. Um, but yeah, just automating all of those things. So I don't have to do it or giving customers self-service. So I'm genuinely just like stepping myself out and out and out. The, Honestly, the first plan, when I set it up and go, do you know what? We're not going to be a consultancy. We're going to be an MSP and we're going to sell it in five years and we're going to make millions. Um, And over that journey of the last two years, I've kind of looked at it and gone, well, yes, possible. But also, you know, I did 17 pieces of M&A in a previous company. And I always know when there was a, a strong player manager in post, when you bought that business, kind of fell apart without the main player manager. Right. So I was like, if I'm going to do that, I need to be useless, job number one. But if I've made myself truly useless in my own company and it runs and it works and it makes money and everyone's happy and the customers are happy, why would I then sell it? <laughs> because it's I've an built interesting this paradox, engine. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I'm just like, well, I'm over here. I can go and do other interesting things or whatever it is I want to spend time. You know, we've got young kids that spend more time with those guys. I mean, you know, some, everyone always says, oh, spend more time with your kids. Yeah, I just spent four days with the kids. I'm tired. Um, you get back into the office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I came in for a rest. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm easy breezy right now. The, the business yeah. is going great. It's growing really well. The guys are amazing. Um, you know, we might add someone else in, but again, I know we can hit next year's target without adding anyone else in. But if we hit, a, you know, something that is going to just, you know, rocket that that uh, performance, then we might bring someone else in. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm just loving it genuinely. Amazing, amazing insights, Scott. Thanks for sharing. And whenever I have a conversation with an MSP, whether it's in the tech tribe or another community or whatever, and they ask me about, hey, hey, we want to build the business uh, for sale. Or they say, I want to build the business so I don't have to spend as much time in it, but I don't want to sell it. All roads lead to exactly the same conclusion, which is all the stuff you've talked about, you need to eliminate yourself from the business or make yourself 
not essential to the business. Empty your head of information, document things, use automation, put systems in place. So if you're listening to this, whatever your goals for your MSP business, listen to what Scott has just said. So here's a man who has been there and done it, and he's doing it yet again to a very, very high level. And Scott, I wanted to put you on the spot, actually, as a friend. You mentioned about your, um, you know, you're the essentially the, um, the purse keeper within Cloud Nexus. Yes. So you pay all the bills and everything else. Would you consider outsourcing the finance to, you know, a fractional uh, finance director or something of that nature? Yeah, definitely. So we we already have um, a bookkeeper who does mm. all the the invoice reconciliation, all that stuff. For years again, I, I was spending hours doing that stuff, and so we have a fantastic bookkeeper. And again, for for the rate that we pay, they do it better and faster than I could ever possibly do it. Right. You know, I I, w- I put things in myself from time to time, and she emails me to go, "You've done it wrong." You know, we don't pay. <laughs> Leave my books alone. Stop yeah. messing around. And I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. Poof, right, okay. Um, so, and they, do, they just do the reconciliation once a week. They get all the ins and the outs and sort all that stuff. The only thing I do is press go when it's time to invoice clients on a, on a bill. And I'm currently working on how we do that in Halo PSA. So mm-hmm. the guys can go, I'm done. And it will trigger the billing in zero, all perfectly doable. And then the only other thing I do is pay the invoices. So, you know, if we if we need to pay a supplier or if we need to, you know, pay the salaries, someone else calculates all the salaries. I don't do that. We have a payroll system and a pension system. That's all done for me. I just have to go into the bank account app and, and tap the numbers in. That's all I have to do. I would happily outsource that because it's it's, you know, it's time and and that I don't need to spend on things. But I do think, oh, there's a real comfort factor there. It's just Oh my goodness! You're giving someone the keys to the bank account, and it's not like we have huge amounts of money in there. But like, if they mess it up, I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, but again, there's someone who could do it better and faster than I can. I just need to find them right now. I, I yeah. so much believe in in everything else. We've outsourced HR, finance, legal, IT service desk, uh, SOC operations, security operations. Sorry, um, phishing campaigns. We've outsourced so much. Um, I just need this last couple bits off my plate and then I won't be doing anything operationally and my role will be sales and marketing face. Great, chat to the clients, you know, get them interested in working with us and, you know, giving back to the to the community. That's that's my dream of, of, of what I want to do. I have no doubt, no doubt at all in my mind that you're going to achieve this. And I remember when you came on the podcast before, I think I said something along the lines to you, either on air or off air. I was like, hey, would you come back on in like a couple of years time and we'll talk about the progress? Well, it didn't last very long. We've, we've had you back <laughs> on it in about what it was six, nine months or whatever. <laughs> but genuinely, I think, you know, if we spoke to you again in another uh, 12 months, you'll have made exponential progress from where you are. You are one of the most amazing human beings, Scott Riley. I know I'm going to make you blush by this. You're an incredible uh, chap. You are so open and honest, giving of your time and experience with the community. So on behalf of the whole MSP community, thank you uh, for the time. And on my behalf, thanks so much for taking time out your day. I've just looked at the clock. We've been talking for like 90 minutes or more, and it has gone by in a flash. And I could talk to you all afternoon. And I think there's many people listening would want me to talk to you all afternoon, but hey, <laughs> you've got a business to run, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, this—I mean, this is lovely. It's it's always lovely to chat to you, and and, and thank you so much for having me back. I would, do you know, what? I'd love to come back, uh, you know, in another twelve months, and let you know 
what's going on. Um, but, you know, equally, if anyone wants to catch me in the meantime, if there's anything I can do to help or give any advice or suggestions, uh, I'm sure, Richard, you'll have my contact details in, in the description. Show notes. Um, we'll put but, you know, there. reach out to me, find me on LinkedIn. I, I'm always happy to answer any questions. And as you've probably heard uh, today, I, I'm very candid with, with what we're doing. And I don't always get it right. But I, I can tell you what I've, I've got right, what we've got wrong. Always happy to share. So yeah, thank you so you much are, for having me. You are a rock star, lovely. my friend. And for anybody listening to this, uh, wow, what about Scott Riley? Eh? You know, second time he's been on the podcast, backed by popular demand. It will not be the last time he's on the podcast as well, I assure you of that. Don't worry with all of the resources that Scott has mentioned, all of the various bits, pieces, tools, solutions, providers, everything else. We'll include them all in the show notes at tublog.co.uk. All that remains to say, Scott, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it, my friend. Oh, no, thank you so much. This has been lovely. And thanks to everyone for listening, uh, listening to us go on for 90 minutes. I hope uh, it's been some value to you guys. But thank you so much, Richard. It's been lovely. My pleasure. Hey, folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tublog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. 